All right. Hi, Tim. Hi, Peter. How you doing? Good. Doing great. Great. So thanks for uh, being here. I was thinking about the other day, how could I make my own quarantine even worse? And I said, you know what? Maybe I'll start listening to some opera. So, <laughs> and I know both of you uh, are, are heavily into opera on that. And I joke about that, but uh, I think this would be a great time uh, for our kids at home to maybe get some suggestions and recommendations on either some greatest hits from the opera or even operas, full shows that they could watch, maybe some locations, um, you know, uh, that, that they could find those things. Um, so if we could start out with some favorites, Peter, would you mind telling me maybe if you don't have a favorite opera, maybe a few that just come to mind that you think people have to see at some point in their life? Right, right, right. Thanks, Don. I, I had, when you asked us to do this podcast, I thought of three that are absolutely for first timers, uh, essential for different reasons. I would say most people know most of the tunes from Bizet's Carmen. It's a great place to start. It's got the habanera. It's got, uh, it's got the Toreador song. It's got big, loud numbers. It's got chorus numbers. It's got everything. It's got quintets and trios and duets. It's got everything that an opera needs to have in it to engage a, a, young, a young and naive audience, somebody going at it for the first time. It's got a little death at the end, and, and that's always fun in opera, because if somebody doesn't die, then, you, then then what's the point of making an opera about it, I guess? Uh, my second one after Carmen is The Magic Flute. It's by Mozart. It's got uh, tons of tunes in it that might be recognizable, probably less recognizable than than Carmen, but it's a it, it's an opera based on uh, based on a fairy tale that I think children would get uh, enjoy. It's got costumes and sets with creative productions are usually charming and fun-loving. It's got a bird catcher. It's got silly things with silly words in it. And I think that that would be something that people would really enjoy. enjoy. And my third choice was uh, Cavalleria Rusticana and by Mascagni. It was a Sicilian composer, Italian composer of the 19th century, uh, 1900s. And what, the reason why I chose that one is because I really think it's um, what we call a numbers opera, which means that it has chunks of things that don't go on forever that would, uh, uh, that would play to your person who's normally, you know, a five-minute tune is just way too long on the radio. Five minutes is way too long to listen to to watch a YouTube clip of a friend of yours. And Calvary um, Rusticana opens up a door for, for people to go in and not be scared. Those would be my choice. That's great. And I've, I've heard of all of those. And it's funny because I've listened to the highlights from those. But for somebody like me, that would be a good thing to go and say, okay, now I'm going to watch the whole the whole production. I'm, I'm going to see where all of this stuff fits in there. As well. I'm going to clap at home when the big songs come up too. There you so. go. <laughs> Tim, what about you, sir? The first one that would have come to mind, Peter touched on, is the magic flute. I think that Mozart is probably the most accessible of opera composers to sort of understand the structure of what he's writing. And that's a really big issue in opera. But I think if your gateway to opera might have been through music theater, where it is for a lot of people, some of the shows that are connected to music theater, like La Boheme, which shares a storyline loosely with Rent, or uh, Miss Saigon with Madame Butterfly, would be an interesting way. Just the other night, the Metropolitan Opera 
was showing Aida. And I think that would be another one. So something like that, or some of the shows that are based on fairy tales like Hansel and Gretel, or some of the versions of Cinderella, I think would be a really good place to start. Because one thing that's difficult to explain to somebody watching an opera is it's not like watching a movie where you're gonna, you you can be surprised by the storyline. You kind of have to know what's going to happen, particularly something that's in a foreign language where you're trying to keep up with the language as well. Good point. Um, to really fully enjoy it. And therefore, a show like Hansel and Gretel or Cinderella would be a little bit easier to follow. So it's okay in an opera if you do the whole spoilers thing and you and you do the Wikipedia synopsis of it, or you you look up the story just just so you know what's going on is is what you're saying. Like don't cottoning don't go into what, these things cold. Cottoning onto what Tim said, having a, a synopsis available is in every you know every production of a musical theater show or an opera has everything right there for you. This is what's going to happen. Be ready, and uh, I think it makes our appreciation of that so, so totally different than a movie. And I, I Don, I never thought about that. But you're exactly right. That whole That's, and I think that right there is going to be my my key takeaway. And I'm, I'm hoping this episode helps some other people, of course. But um, I think that's going to be my key takeaway. That's that's going to make me take a different approach to this now. And and I think the other thing too is we're in a spot. And and I don't know if you'll agree or disagree on this, but is is an opera also going to be a little bit difficult to watch on the small screen um, at home since that's not what it was intended to be. Or is is that experience still going to be beneficial? Uh, I'm saying that I watched a documentary on cats today, and I'm talking about <laughs> I'm talking yeah. about the, the the recent musical movie which which lost a hundred million dollars, and the documentarian had a great point, and she was saying that cats was intended for a stage. And she goes with that stage, every single member of Cats is pretty much on there the whole time. It's kind of a dance show. It's a review show. When they then put it into the movie, they changed that structure and they kind of filled in the blanks that your imagination was supposed to fill in when they watched the show on the stage. Do you think that's the same thing or are we looking at with operas I'm guessing now that most operas that we do see are actually going to be filmed versions of what happens on the stage. There's probably not a lot of operas that have been taken and given the Hollywood treatment. Am I correct, correct. on that? There is a dozen that in 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 our life. And when I was a kid, there were there were two. So there are more now. But your your point is valid, Tim. I think um, there's a there's a medium to see it live, that really is a different experience, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a better experience. I, I think there's a lot you can learn from seeing it on your TV and being able to rewind and fast forward and, and see something a second time. You just lose a little bit of that magicness and that humanity that comes from, from a live production. There are a few that have been made into movies. The Magic Flute was set by Kenneth Branagh, and that is a very interesting version because he he set it in World War One, and the Queen of the Night comes riding in on a tank. And it's just this kind of bizarre thing. But if you don't know opera, that might be really enjoyable to an opera purist. They might look at that and say sacrilege, but why are we so stuffy about this? Why can't we look at things and, and just compare? I saw the stage version. I saw that version. They were very different, and I enjoyed both of them. Can I just add something to what Tim said, Don, Absolutely. for a second? 
with regard to the story and the importance of the story, another way to really get a young person, a young, a young viewer of opera interested is to read the story first. I mean, I, I do think, and I said this to myself, walking, I've been a subscriber, subscriber at Lyric Opera of Chicago for, for 20 years. And I walk out sometimes after the first accident. I've never seen this opera before. Oh my gosh. That's why this opera is not famous. It's the stupidest story I've ever seen in my life. And I, and I do think that sometimes reading a synopsis first would capture your imagination. Oh my gosh, I'm going into this. Wait, is this really the same as Othello by Verdi? Is that the same story as Shakespeare's Othello? I mean, that is an absolutely ridiculous question for me, but that might not be a ridiculous question for somebody who doesn't know that, that those are the same stories and that, that, Falstaff by Verdi is a, a retelling of the Merry Wives of Windsor by Shakespeare. That's not something that's generally known to anybody. So if you're if you're studying that piece, there's a couple operas on Romeo and Juliet that are very close to Shakespeare's uh, the big dynamic parts of the story. Maybe going at an opera rather than what are the most popular ones are. What are the stories that really turn you on? What are the ones that get your enthusiasm for wanting to see more? Might be a good place. And that's, that's, oh, go ahead, Tim. That being said, there are some operas where the storyline is incredibly stupid, but the music is so good that it doesn't matter. And then the opposite can also be true where the, the music is, is not good and you can have a compelling storyline and it can be a dog just because I, I can't listen to this. Oh, and here's something that makes it even more complicated. And maybe that's not that's not for this discussion because it's it's really for people who've seen things multiple times. I saw a production at Lyric Opera by a well-known American composer that starts with G. Gershwin. I didn't want to say it, but I guess I had to say it. I saw a production of Porgy and Bess several years ago. That was the most, that was dire, that I was walking out screaming. I couldn't wait to get to my car. And it was revived, it was revived a couple of years ago, and it was the most fabulous production of that piece that I have seen, and I've seen several of them. So sometimes, even seeing a dog of a production doesn't mean that the music's not bad, doesn't mean music is bad, doesn't mean the story's bad. It could be just a dog production, and then that that really stinks because then you you got two strikes against you before you even try to give opera a shot. My my live opera story was the first opera. I can't remember what it was. I saw it. I didn't understand it. I was getting whiplash from looking at the translations on top. I was younger. Um, my second opera, I saw Madame Butterfly, and afterwards, uh, I'm not good with directions. Afterwards, I lost my car for a good two hours. I couldn't find it. My my wife, she's around here somewhere. She can attest to that. Uh, I I we were we weren't married yet, but I had to call her up and I said, "Can you help me find my car in Chicago?" And she goes, "Where is it at?" And I said, "It's a garage with one of the green signs." And uh, she says, that's, okay. that's all of the garage. But she found it in like five minutes. I made it. I'm here. It's okay. So, you know, I got <laughs> to get past those things with it there too. But I, I will say this, like, you know, we were talking about the live shows. Obviously, we can't go to live shows right now. But, you know, if you're saying, hey, it's good to get the story first. It's, it's good to get some background. And then you can watch this at home. 
that's also kind of a, a nice little little goal is to say, listen, I watched this at home and now like, holy cow, I'm hooked. I can't wait to go see this live because we all know there's a different energy. And, and to be honest with you, to get a little sentimental, just to you know, get a little hope in our lives too, to say, okay, I saw this art form. I'm going to, as soon as this quarantine is lifted, I'm, I want to go see this live as soon as it's running there. And, and I think hope can be a pretty valuable currency with that. Um, so let's do this, Peter. Let's kind of deconstruct it a little bit more. So we have your recommended operas. Let's pretend now, um, I, I know it seems like we have time, but let's pretend I don't have time right now. And I, I want to get a couple of greatest hits. What are maybe um, a few compositions that you can think of that, that someone could listen to right now and you think you know, it, it could hook somebody? Compositions that could hook somebody. I'm, I'm thinking like for myself, like I love the Queen of the Night aria. Like I oh, could okay. watch that thing all day long. Are there other maybe selections like that that people either might know or that uh, maybe they don't know and you could recommend? Um, Tim, you're gonna have to help me on this one because this is where this is where knowing opera since you were a tiny kid is is not such a good thing. I mean, my my experiences are 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 just totally weird compared to everybody else's. What the the Toreador song from Carmen? Who who doesn't know that? I I can't imagine it. It's been on a million commercials. Well, you know what? I'll link I'll link it though because that's the crazy thing with this is that everyone had to listen to these things at some point, right? It's, it's like, uh, for the first time, I should say, you know, it's like when we talk to some of our kids at school, it's like, how could you not know who the Beatles are? And, you know, I remember the one time I got the answer, which was, I've never heard them. That's, that's why I don't know who they are. <laughs> okay. I, I think um, I, I'm always drawn to the ones that aren't the most famous ones, but they're sort of that next tier down. And one song that always captivates me is the song to the moon from Rizalka. Oh, beautiful. I think that's one that would stand out. Uh, Vesti Lajuba. Vesti uh, Lajuba from Pagliacci by so Leon Cavallo. And, and you have to hear Pavarotti sing that. I, I don't think anyone else should be allowed to now. And, and that would soar in people's minds in the same way that nobody knew who opera was until the three tenors came and did an arena performance. And then all of a sudden, what was it? It was um, Nessun Dorma. Right, from uh, Puccini's Turandot is known by everybody of my generation because they, those, the three tenors were, were big 30 years ago. Uh, they're half dead now. Were big 30 years ago. And those kind of, those kind of um, operatic superstar guys could pack arenas. I mean, those, those times are, they come and go, but they have been there. What else, Tim? That, well, Peter, you you mentioned the Habanero from Carmen. That's probably the most famous of all opera arias, or La Donna Immobile from La Donna Immobile from Rigoletto by Verdi. Yeah, and the Toreador song from Carmen. I don't know if I said that. The Toreador song from Carmen. Yeah. Do you think people would know Umbeldi from Madame Butterfly? Did you know any tunes from Madame Butterfly, Don, when you went as a novice opera goer? I don't remember them. I'll, I'll be honest. One of the reasons I went was that there was a band I really liked in high school called Weezer and their second album was called Pinkerton. And uh, some of it was based off of Madame Butterfly. So that was my, my hook to get there. Um, I will say I, re I remember the scenery. It was cool. It was, they're not ninjas, Peter. You've told me this before. They're they no. Samurais? No, no, they're not Samurais either. They're, they're, they're <laughs> They're kabuki. It's a Japanese tradition of kabuki actors dressed in black 
acting almost like puppeteers who move the set around while you're supposed to not notice. Okay. Of course, that's the coolest part about noticing them. I'm not editing this out. I'm okay. I I made a mistake. You corrected me. If that's how it is, I learned something. So, you know, uh, as opposed to, as opposed to the songs to listen to, I found a lot of my students, when we talk about opera, one of the things that really captivates them is the singer themselves. And if you get the right voice to listen to, it doesn't, Sometimes it doesn't even matter what they sing. For me, Pavarotti is, he could sing anything and it's going to sound fantastic. Natalie Desay is an angel. Renee uh, Fleming. Yeah, I, I don't she, like she Fleming could sing. She, okay, but she could sing jazz. She has a couple jazz albums and things where she sings stuff that's off of the beaten track of opera and classical music. Uh, Matthew Polanzani is sort of in his prime right now and I, I really appreciate his his singing style. And he grew up in Illinois and went to Eastern Illinois University. A homeboy almost. All right. Her Trebko is a Russian soprano who is pretty popular right now. Is there someone else, Peter, that stands out to you that you really like? Uh, oh, hundreds of them. Yeah, but 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 you got the right idea is to find you go to YouTube and see see where the where the hundreds of hits are before they go down to 20 and 30 and 10. I think, I mean, that's, that's always a good litmus paper of what's popular. People are popular because they make a whole lot of people feel the exact same way that Tim and I just described. Well then final, final question on this then. Um, and we'll go with Tim first. You know, we've talked about, you guys gave some great suggestions and now where do people go to actually view um, or, or listen to this now, Tim? What, what sources do you uh, can you think of, Tim? The obvious one right now is the Metropolitan Opera has made shows available nightly during our... our Met, Met Opera, metopera.org, is that what it is? Metopera.org. So every night they showed a different show. I have a student right now who's going to go into opera performance and she's getting an education that you couldn't get because these shows were just in a vault and they would show one per year or two per year at a movie theater for $20, $30 a ticket. And now they're just every night. And you can, when, when you're looking at that situation, you can um, see where you could see a show that maybe you wouldn't have risked your 20 or $30 on because this one might be a dog. Well, it's free. It's streaming. I can turn it off in 15 minutes if it's terrible. All right. Like two nights ago was Aida. I mean, Aida, with all the pomp and circumstance that the Metropolitan Opera can throw at it, all the money that there is available in opera is thrown at productions like that, where they bring on, you know, animals and huge amounts of supernumeraries with spears and stuff like that. And, and that's the kind of thing that'll hook you, right? That'll hook you. Yeah, they, a couple nights ago as well, did the Dialogue of the Carmelites, which is a true story from the French Revolution. It's a really tough one to listen to. But uh, maybe you wouldn't have that opportunity to see that show or you would spend your money to go see The Marriage of Figaro for your first show. But now maybe you could see that one. I think, I think what you said real quick, too, the opportunity part is, is huge. And this is for anyone, especially students listening right now, is that if you do have the time and you can watch anything, you know, I, I think it's also think about what's going to be available later and what's not going to be available. And, and I think Netflix is going to still be available after the quarantine is lifted. However, the Met is might not be offering all of their shows for free afterwards. Right. So, so maybe it, you know, 
as, as you're trying to find that, that entertainment and education, maybe look first for the sources that might be limited. Peter, sorry, I cut you off. No, I was just, I was thinking of a, 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 a contemporary, um, a, a contemporary part of this that's really cool is that Lyric Opera this uh, past season presented Dead Man Walking, which is an American opera by an American composer based on the Dead Man Walking book of 20 years ago. And Lyric Opera had some outreach things where they had the author come and talk, the, the sister that wrote the book and spent the time with the guy who was on death row. And, and it was a very cool way that, that, that they, that they melded, um, uh, the common practice of opera, which is just ridiculous that people would sing there, stand up and sing with an orchestra in a pit in front of them and tell a story. That whole idea must be ridiculous to people. And yet the telling the story of the dead man walking was very cool. And meeting the author was cool. And, um, there are some things that are, that I don't think opera is just a place. It's not like a museum. There are things that are going on that are pretty hip and they're pretty contemporary and they're pretty, uh, a lot of, uh, directors set operas in, in modern times, don't they? They take Shakespeare and move it up to well, a, a famous production when I was living in England of Rigoletto was set by this British director in, in mafia run Al Capone's time of New York City. And they were all dressed with, you know, with fedoras and they were carrying guns. And that, that is a cool part of opera that you don't normally see in movies, for example. Absolutely. So, so then just kind of closing here, we've got our resources, the Met, and I'm assuming, you know, YouTube, you can find at least uh, like the greatest hits of it, Spotify, all of those things are up there. Um, so great. Well, well, gentlemen, this was uh, very, very educational for me. And, and again, I took some great takeaways from it. And, and I really do uh, appreciate your time and, and, and your help today for helping us to provide some content to our kids out there. Okay. Pleasure. I think Tim and I could talk about opera for another two or three hours and not even be exhausted. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks.